online worship services of Kirkpatrick Memorial Presbyterian Church. I'm Christoph Ebbinghouse, the minister of that church. So gathering nine, can you believe it? This is the seventh week that we've been doing this now. You're welcome, whoever you are. Whenever we're in our own building down in Ballyhackamore, there's one thing we love to do, and that is to, to welcome people, to let everybody know, uh, if they're a visitor, if they're a guest with us, how very welcome they are. Well, that's no less the case with these online services. So we hope that you know that you're welcome here today. Actually, I know that a lot of people are able to join us who wouldn't normally be able to be with us on the Newtonards Road. So maybe you're parents of somebody who attends Kirkpatrick or grandparents, you're welcome. Uh, maybe you're friends uh, of somebody who worships with us. It's great to have you with us too. Whoever you are, uh, you're welcome here with us this morning. How are you? The more time passes, the more I find myself wondering about that. How is everyone doing? How are you? I can't see you, and because I can't see you, I have much less of a sense of how you're doing. The only thing I know is what you choose to share with me and tell me. People have been telling me that they've been experiencing ups and downs during this lockdown period. Some have been very honest. Some have told me that they're struggling with anxiety and depression and other difficulties. This morning, I would like to reassure you that whatever you're experiencing just now, God knows. God knows me, God knows you, God knows all of us. David, the, the psalmist, he knows that God knows. And in one of his most famous psalms, he immerses himself in that wonderful truth. In Psalm 139, let me read a wee bit of it for you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, O Lord, know it completely. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you know us. You know us better than anyone knows us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know our joys, and we thank you for them. You know our fears. We offer them to you. You know our sins. Please forgive us. You know us with all our weaknesses and willfulness, with all our fears and failings, and still you love us. Thank you that you know us and you love us. 
We have stopped just now because we want to meet with you. We want to take time to know that we're known and forgiven and loved. Please send your spirit on us now to reassure us of all these things. Amen. It's one of the great strengths of Kirkpatrick that so many people contribute to our church services. So I've really enjoyed these last few weeks being led by Chloe and Colin and Stephen and then Lisa and Rachel. This morning, I get to lead our service. In a moment, we're going to have a Sunday club slot from Claire and Kerry. Uh, boys and girls, listen out for a great invitation there to get involved in a wee project. And we'll follow that by a kid's song. Then Christy's going to come and read God's word for us. And a little after that, Monty's going to come and preach for us. It's just great to have him still able to teach with us, reminding us of our God-given identity. We're people who proclaim the gospel of Christ. But first, we're going to sing our opening song for this morning. As we sing this song, we're going to declare our trust in the God who knows us. The Lord is my salvation. Hello, Sunday Club from Kerry and Claire's house. We hope you're all doing good and you're all safe and sound as you, like us, are staying at home. It's weird not being able to go to Sunday Club, isn't it? But isn't it good to know that even though we can't be at church, we can all stay connected and can worship God together wherever we are. We have really enjoyed seeing all the creative things you guys have been coming up with, which has given us an idea. Kirkpatrick would like your help in a special project. Nearly every day, Claire and I walk past our church with its doors shut and look at all the shops around, which are also shut. It's very quiet, but people are still walking past our church every day. We think it would be great to brighten up Ballyhackamore and our church with a large colourful banner that could be placed on the railings just outside the front. Some people are very sad and worried at a time like this. So wouldn't it be great to see a big message of hope outside the front, letting everyone know God is still with us. Just take an A4 size piece of paper and create something that has a written message on it or a picture. Think about what you would like to say that would cheer someone up and give hope to someone who's passing by. Because God is looking after us and he wants us to share that message with everyone. So Kerry and I will gather up all the pictures and put them together in one big banner. You can get a grown-up to help you by scanning your picture into the computer or getting someone to take a picture of it with their camera phone. And an email will be sent out telling you where you need to send your picture. So let's get creative and spread some joy. Miss you guys and hope to see you soon. Bye! This morning we are going to read from Isaiah chapter 52 verses 7 to 10 and from Romans chapter 1 verses 14 to 17. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. 
burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And Romans chapter 1, verse 14 to 17. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The 5th of August, 1982. The 30th of May, 1986. The 17th of June, 1989. Three dates that, although they are all over 30 years ago, remain embedded in my mind. The one thing they have in common is that I couldn't wait to tell people what had happened. The first was when I got my A-level results and knew that I was going away to university to Scotland. The second was when I got a much better degree than I was expecting or probably deserved. The third was when Gwen, in a moment of madness, agreed to marry me. In each and every case, I couldn't wait to share the good news. In the second incident, all my flatmates had already gone home, my parents' phone was busy, and I remember hitchhiking 10 miles to the home of a friend who lived nearby just to have someone share the news with me. You've maybe heard the joke about the strict Scottish Presbyterian minister who is on holiday, and it was such a beautiful Sunday morning, he decides to skip church and go for a round of golf. The story is told in the terms of a C.S. Lewis screw tapes letters type scenario. The junior devil and the senior devil. And the junior devil watches as the senior devil helps the rebellious minister to get a hole in one on his first three holes. What are you doing, said the junior devil. You're meant to be making him miserable. Ah, said the senior devil. But who's he going to tell? It's part of who we are as social beings made in the image of the triune God, that just as we need each other for comfort in times of grief, so we need each other to share the good news of life. Keeping it to ourselves is unnatural. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, wrote the Apostle Paul. It's probably the biggest indictment against the contemporary church that we have turned good news into bad news. We have made something that should be the most attractive news ever into something distinctly unattractive. The words evangelism, evangelist, evangelistic, evangelical don't have a great reputation. And it's got worse. Media have recently had headlines such as, can evangelicalism survive Trump? Or evangelical pastor insists on flouting COVID lockdown rules. We think of televangelists, of street corner hellfire preachers. I work for an organisation that has evangelical in its title, so it's a pretty relevant issue for me. 
Author Becky Pippert, herself an amazing evangelist, writes that when she was young, she thought that evangelism wasn't something you should do to your dog, never mind to a friend. And yet the meaning of the word is good news, evangel. A good news messenger is an evangelist. A good news person is an evangelical. Well, it's not my business this morning to analyse how we got here or to critique the cultural presentation of evangelism. What I want to do is look at what scripture says about the good news, the evangel, what has been translated into English as gospel. It appears over 90 times in the New Testament. The term preach the gospel appears over 30 times. So it's pretty important. What's more, in the reading we heard from Romans, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So we have this dilemma. Increasingly, we find ourselves ashamed of the things that are done in the name of the evangel. And yet, we are not to be ashamed of it. The gospel, the good news, is something we should be rejoicing in. It's central to who we are as Christians. Paul says, it's the power of God that brings salvation to everybody who believes. Power, salvation, good news for everybody. How come Paul can say, I'm not ashamed of this good news, and yet we tend to get embarrassed or defensive if people ask us about our faith? It's not because the culture or the context is any different. That's another myth. Like the one I mentioned on Easter Sunday that said the resurrection was made up by pre-scientific primitive people who didn't know any better. This other myth says that Christianity worked in ancient times when people would easily accept it. But now today, this idea of Jesus being the only way of salvation and the need for repentance and faith in Jesus is frankly offensive. No, this good news was just as hard to swallow for the first century Roman Empire as it is for postmodern men and women. In fact, Paul says the message of Jesus hanging on a cross was an offense to his hearers. He also calls it a stumbling block, foolishness. And yet it is still good news. Paul knew that while the message was good news, the way we access that good news, the way we benefit from it, would be offensive. Admitting we need help, recognizing we're not good enough, submitting to the authority of this failed, crucified embarrassment of a king. Like somebody sick with a terminal illness, but it's an illness that has a cure And yet they refused to take the cure because that would involve recognising they were ill. Like a couple knowing they could save their marriage, that it's not too late. But going for counselling, taking the step, would mean admitting that they were in trouble. So they don't go. And so too many don't turn to Christ because that would involve recognising that they were sinners. That they can't do it on their own. It was no different in the first century. It's the same today. And so, if you like, we face enough natural and spiritual obstacles in communicating the good news because people struggle to accept that they need it. That we don't need to create any artificial ones, any unnecessary ones, any more obstacles of our own invention that make it even more difficult for people who are genuinely seeking, who do want help and who do know that they need rescuing so that they can come and find Jesus. I'm going to hold up a few words here for a moment. 
And I want you to think about what these words conjure up for you. There they are. Justified, saved, redeemed, born again, spirit-filled, reconciled, forgiven, adopted. Now, I want you to imagine if you're someone who's still considering the faith or exploring life in Christ, I want you to imagine if you had never met any annoying Christians from Northern Ireland. If you forget you're listening to a Christian sermon just now, what do these words mean? And if you're someone who has been a Christian for many years, if you also try to step outside the world of Northern Irish religious cliché, what do these words mean? Because these are great words. These are good news words. They speak of a new start, of being accepted, not rejected, of being included, not excluded. These are let's throw a party words. Think about it. You're standing, accused in the dock. You fear a punishment, but unexpectedly you're declared innocent. Not guilty, you're free to go. You've been vindicated. You've been justified. You're holding on to a surfboard in the Irish Sea, having been pulled into the open water, unable to get back to shore. The true story of a young man off the Mull of Kintyre a couple of years ago, watching the sun go down and thinking as he thought that this is the last time I'll see that. You hear a helicopter buzzing overhead, only for it to pass over. It mustn't have seen you. But then it comes back and stops again. And they spot you and the winch is lowered and you are rescued. You've been saved. Or your daughter is kidnapped on holiday and sold as a slave. But a rich person in that foreign country hears of the appalling trade and trafficked women and to shortcut the red tape and all the corrupt authorities, they simply pay the money and buy her so they can return her back to you safely. She's been redeemed. Well, let's turn our mind to science fiction. What would it be like to be able to press the reset button on your life? Start it over again. Learn from all the stuff you did wrong. How good would it be to be born again? Or how good would it be to be free from those addictive habits or self-destructive tendencies, your natural weaknesses, your temptations, because you had something stronger within you, something supernatural to help you resist what it would be like to be filled with God himself? And so on. Reconciled. How beautiful for two friends who had fallen out to get back to where they were in total trust. To forgive one another. Or the final image. Standing outside the orphanage door. As family after family come and choose the other kids. And you're still without anyone to call dad or mum without brothers or sisters, without a home. And then finally a car pulls up and a couple get out and they say, come home with us. From now on, you're going to be part of our family. You're adopted. Is there any way these words could possibly be interpreted as bad news? And yet, what did you think when they first went up? Here's the God Squad pushing their religion, or here's a bunch of abstract theological terms that frankly leave me cold or conjure up bad images for me. How have we got here? Well, maybe we need to learn a new language. Maybe in a few moments I'll help us look at how we can take this amazing good news and be people who proclaim the great news 
of Jesus Christ. You, O Lord, have made a way, the great divide you heal. For when our hearts were far away, your love went further still. You alone can rescue, you alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. My goodness, the Christian gospel is good news. But we make it sound bad. Paul says he's not ashamed of it, but so often we are. Maybe we can try to grasp again just what is so good about it. The first reading that we had from Isaiah is actually a gospel reading, Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of the messenger on the mountain that brings good news, gospel. We look at the content of that message, we see three important things. Verse 7, the Lord reigns. Verse 8, the Lord is returning. And then verse 9, the Lord is coming to comfort. Or if you want to stick with the three R's, the last line says, he's coming to redeem. But the image is of someone in complete charge of the world, coming back to set up his kingdom and comfort and liberate his people. The message of the New Testament is that this gospel has now been revealed in full colour in the life and ministry of Jesus. If we're to be the new, beautiful-footed messengers of the gospel, people of hope, four things at least will be necessary. Firstly, we need to understand what the gospel is. We can't share it if we haven't grasped it ourselves or if we've only grasped some sort of anemic gospel light that deals in banalities and platitudes and changes nobody. People aren't going to hand over their life for that. We need to understand what is going on here. And if we take Isaiah's passage, we find that there's a type of murder image happening. Isaiah talked about the Lord reigning, about him returning to his people and coming to redeem them. Now we know that Jesus has come as Redeemer, a Saviour. And then he's promised that he's coming back again to take his disciples with him and then to set up his kingdom where all evil will be defeated, everything broken will be restored, all crying and pain will be eradicated forever and we will reign with him. The Lord reigns. The Lord returns to his people to redeem them. He returns again to set up his final kingdom. The good news of the gospel is that everybody, no matter their race or background or past, can be part of the single redeemed humanity. We need to understand that this is not something petty or insubstantial. The gospel's implications are that vast, that cosmic, affecting every man, woman and child. But it's also deeply personal. We have an invitation to be part of this. We have to accept that invitation, admit that Up until now, we've been rebels going our own way, wanting to keep in charge of our own lives, like the old people of Israel, like those who crucified Jesus. We're there with them, and we need to ask his forgiveness and accept his grace, because he loves us that much, he wants us back again. The second thing we need to do is spread it, spread the news. Christ's final words, go to all nations. Tell them the good news. Everything I've taught you, pass it on. There's an unavoidable verbal dimension to the sharing of the gospel. You might be familiar with the popular phrase attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Well, for a start, Francis never did say that as far as we know. In fact, one of his followers once said that if we use that phrase to undermine the importance of words, we betray the very words of St. Francis himself. 
makes as much sense as saying, feed the hungry, if necessary, use bread. Paul makes it clear, how will they believe unless somebody tells them? Now, I know there's a justifiable reaction against unrelational evangelism. Those who use words alone with no compassion or understanding or context, where the hearer doesn't feel listened to or valued, where there is evangelism but no friendship. But friendship evangelism, so-called, can so often be all friendship and no evangelism. And people don't enter the kingdom of heaven purely by being your friend. There's not a two-for-one offer on. Yes, our friendship, our lifestyle, hopefully will attract our friends and others and lead them to a place where they ask about what's behind it. But at that point, if they say, what does this mean? Just as Philip was asked in Acts chapter 8 by the Ethiopian. Or if they ask, what must I do to be saved? Just as Paul and Silas were asked in Acts 16 by the jailer, then we need to have an answer. Let me just start by explaining some of those words I held up earlier in your own language with the illustrations like the ones I use. Now, very few will be gifted as what we would call evangelists, but each one of us is in touch with dozens of people who will never listen to a talk from a professional evangelist, but who will listen to us because they know us and trust us. What will you say to them? Because we do have good news to spread. Thirdly, and I'll only touch on this briefly, we will need to defend the gospel because it's so precious. A lot of the New Testament warns against false teaching. There's always going to be counterfeit messiahs, alternative ways of looking at Jesus and finding salvation. But we need to remember that the cost of our salvation was the blood of Jesus. If there could have been any other way, he would have taken it. But he is the only way. Imagine, if you will, a, an unexpected comeback tour or reunion tour of your favourite band. It doesn't matter who it is. Let's say it's Oasis because they share my footballing proclivities. Imagine the Gallagher brothers have finally buried their grievances. They agree on a reconciliation. They issue a press release saying their concerts are open to anyone who buys their tickets on this particular website and this website alone will give you the legal tickets for the concert. And then someone generates uh, some fake news and says, actually, cheaper tickets will be available here on my website. If you're the Oasis tour manager, you're going to counter that. You're going to expose it as fake and say, no, on the authority of the band themselves, I can say this is the only way. Because otherwise you're going to be misled, you're going to be disappointed and hurt when the fake site doesn't deliver the goods. Defending the gospel against false religion and false teaching and alternative spiritualities isn't about being exclusive or intolerant. It's about loving people enough to care about when they are being misled away from the truth to something that won't deliver the goods. If you have something precious, you defend it. Understand it, spread it, defend it. And then finally, we have to live it. I talked earlier about how there's an unavoidable verbal dimension to the gospel. But of course, words by themselves are never enough. Do you know what St. Francis really said? He said this, 
It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Now, that's a very different thing from saying, if necessary, use words. It's saying that our words, our preaching, needs to be illustrated by our lives. The gospel has to be about ethical transformation. I don't need to begin to talk about how the gospel has been discredited because many in the church sometimes in the highest of positions have completely betrayed the message so that it has lost all credibility. But let me encourage you. There are thousands still turning to Christ every week around the world. And the vast majority are doing so because of the patient and consistent witness of a friend in word and in deed. But you won't read about that online or you won't see it on the news. One example I remember from almost 30 years ago, just after the Berlin Wall came down, Billy Graham, that most impressive evangelist, a man of integrity, preached in Eastern Europe and thousands took Bibles and hundreds committed themselves to Christ. The same week that that happened, there was a noted televangelist caught with a prostitute. Now you can guess which was front page news. But which do you think had the biggest and most long-reaching effect on the landscape of Europe? I have the privilege of working with the next generation of Eastern European Christians and hearing the stories of what is happening, and I can tell you which event was most important. No, there'll never be another Billy Graham. He was a man for his time, and he was simply one instrument in God's hands with a method that worked in those days. But what effect could 300 good news witnesses from Kirkpatrick Memorial have on the cultural landscape of Northern Ireland? People who understand the message of the gospel, who spread it, who are willing to defend it, and above all, who will live it out so that people see its beauty and turn away from being in charge of their own lives and let him take over. And when they do, they'll suddenly realise that they've been justified, redeemed, born again, spirit-filled, reconciled, adopted. They've been saved. Hey, party time. How could we ever be ashamed of that news? Well, good morning. I don't know if any of you have been having the same conversation as we have in our household every single Sunday morning as we sit upon the sofa. Do you not think he'd make at least a little bit of an effort to get his study tidied before he starts this thing? No, I think that's a study really tidy. That's probably the best it's ever looked. Well, six weeks or whatever into lockdown and our house is definitely not fit for any interior scrutiny on the television. So we're taking no chances uh, and I've been sent for an outside broadcast. And for me, you know, I think that's really very appropriate. Of course, God is everywhere. He's always there and we can speak to him at any time and in any place. But for me, when I really want to hear from him, when I need to be heard, invariably it is to hear that I come to Redburn Country Park, paths that I've walked since I was a child. I'm not sure what it is, the security and strength of these great trees, hundreds of years old, standing firm for generations, telling me that they've seen it all before, or the fragility and yet certainty of the changing of the seasons, 
bare trees which have stood cold and dormant for months, giving forth hopeful buds. Another month passes and in the forest overhead, every shade of green can be seen. And as the summer warmth gives way, greens turning to gold, red and brown, above and in the fallen leaves, lining the paths below my feet. Come here today and the hillsides are carpeted with beautiful bluebells, and to see it is food for the soul, heart achingly beautiful. And sometimes, as I'm withering on in my prayers, I can sense God saying, hush, it's my turn. And his voice can be heard in the rousing early morning song of the birds. So if you're not going out much these days, take this walk with me. God's handiwork is still here, probably even prettier than you remember. And it will still be here for you when you are free in lockdown liberation. And I think you will appreciate it all the more. So this is a walk I try and take every week with a friend from Kirkpatrick. We meet at six any morning that we can manage to scrape ourselves out of bed, to exercise, to take the dogs out and to put the world to rights. We chat about our families, problems at work, life in the church. And when all the hard work has done, the slog up the hill is over and we're on our way down, beginning to think about breakfast, getting the kids out of bed and getting on with the day. But before we round this corner and set upon this view, we take a moment to stop on our tracks and to acknowledge that actually we are not going to put the world to rights. We don't have all the answers. And we humble ourselves before the living God and ask that he would be in all and through all that goes on in our lives. So I invite you to stay the moment here with me and pray as we look out across Belfast our city of love. So Father, as we look across our city, we acknowledge nothing is perfect. There is always a crack, a crack in everything, and that is where your light gets in. So normally when I look out in this view, I see boats coming and going, planes ascending and descending, the hum of traffic on the Sydney bypass. It's beautifully quiet today but the quietness reflects people not going up and out to their places of work. Tourists and visitors not arriving to stay in hotels and eat in restaurants. The disruption of income and the purpose for so many. Genuine fears about how we are going to make ends meet. Lord, as the cracks appear, may your light get in. You're the God who cares for the sparrows and so beautifully adorns the lilies of the field. Have mercy, Lord. Give all their daily bread, we pray. We look across the city and see homes spread out below. Many in these homes are living in a time of loneliness, vulnerability and anxiety. And sadly, there are others for whom to stay at home is no way to try and stay safe. Homes where there is neglect or abuse or violence. Lord, in these cracks, may your light shine. Lord, know that there is nowhere you can't be. Even there may your hand guide, may your right hand hold them fast. And so in the distance I can just make out our hospitals, and a few hundred yards below me is Hollywood Care Home. Tending to the sick, showing sacrificial love and compassion, and putting themselves in harm's way. Porters, cooks, cleaners, nurses, 
doctors and the drivers, all sorts. Thank you for them, Father. Bless the work of each hand and use all of them to heal and restore. And when it's all too much, when strength fails and fatigue overwhelms, when hope is failing, but as the cracks show, may your light get in. Yes, our flesh and our heart may fail, but you, Lord, are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Father, help us to imitate you as we feed those hungry for bread, for justice, for companionship, for forgiveness, for alternate ways of living in this world. Give us your words, equip our hands and guide our feet. Sustain us, Lord, with your healing love. Amen. Thanks to Monty uh, for reminding us that the gospel is great news. Great news for us and great news for the world. Uh, thanks to also to Dan for taking us out into God's beautiful creation and helping us to reconnect with our creator God as we prayed for others. Whenever we decided about putting our service up like this in YouTube, we realized that one of the main drawbacks would be that uh, there might be adverts popping up on people's screens uh, during the worship service. Someone was telling me a couple of weeks ago about ads that they'd seen during our Sunday morning service. Uh, one was for a special kind of luxury bra, and another was for cut-priced funerals. Um, it's my understanding that adverts on something like YouTube are tailored to the particular person uh, depending on their online history. So uh, hoping that that's the case, I hope that you're finding adverts that are helpful to you uh, if you're getting those this morning. Do be sure to get a look at our City of Love update emails that we're sending out. They usually go out about twice a week. Uh, they generally contain encouragements uh, for you to help you to continue to love God and to continue to love your neighbour as Jesus called us to. Look out particularly for uh, a growing amount of prayer requests. We may not be able to meet together, but one thing that we can keep doing is remembering each other and praying for each other, bringing each other to God. Just one last comment about the invitations that we're extending and the resources that we're offering. Um, I found myself during this lockdown period with not quite enough time and sometimes feeling a bit of pressure to read all the articles and watch all the videos about slowing down. Uh, well, the irony of that's not lost on me. Don't let our invitations or our offered resources be like a pressure to you. Use them as you want to and as they're a blessing to you. Just a quick comment on today's extras with more postcards from home. Uh, please keep your photographs coming. Uh, one thing that would help us is if any photos or videos uh, could be with us by noon on a given Friday for inclusion on that Sunday's gathering, that would be great. 
Uh, look out this week for a great video from BB, uh, some other videos that you have submitted or suggested, and then finally a made-for-more resource uh, that you might want to use if you have teenagers in your home. We started our service this morning remembering that God knows us. In Psalm 139, David's also clear that God is with us. And he tries to imagine where he might go that he wouldn't experience God's spirit with him. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He knows me. He's with me. And he will hold me fast. And so we come to the end of another City of Love gathering. Uh, people have been telling me that these gatherings have proved to be a highlight in their week. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that. To set aside time each week to meet with the living God. With the added bonus of joining together with our church family. What's not to love about that? So let's keep meeting together. For as long as this takes. See you next week. In the meantime, uh, let me leave you and speak a Bible blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.